So how many people live in the world today? I Googled that uh, this past week, and uh, the Google took me. The first hit was to worldometer.com, and the number, and it had some sub uh, numbers counting of births and deaths, and, and, then, and they were spinning quickly. But the, according to worldometer.com, yesterday the total was more than 8.08 billion people. And here's something that 8.08 billion people and counting have in common. Every one of them needs Jesus. Every one of them. And so it's a daunting task when we think about sharing the gospel with people across the world when our population continues to explode. But instead of thinking about reaching 8.08 billion people, I want us to narrow our focus this evening and think about just one. And I want to zero in on this phrase, each one reach one. Each one reach one. Tucker, on the last Sunday night of 2023, uh, shared six resolutions with us. Six resolutions that I think would help us all uh, to grow. Read the Bible every day. Pray every day. Number three, bring one lost soul to Christ. That's what I want us to focus on this evening. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. I want to focus in in John chapter 1. I invite you to open your Bibles or look up John chapter 1. One text that I want us to take a close look at. John 1 beginning with verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I want to highlight uh, three words in that text. The first one is John. Who is John? One of the two who heard John speak. It's not John the Apostle, uh, the inspired author of this text, of this gospel account. But this reference is to John, we call him John the Baptist. And there's a lot in John chapter 1 about John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And so I want us to look at John chapter 1, some things that are said about him, to get an idea of who he was and what he was about. Let's go back to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He, John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So here in the first few verses of John, the book, we find John the Baptist's mission to bear witness of the light. You'll notice in the New King James Version, the word light has a capital L because it's a reference to, to Jesus himself. And certainly that was John's mission, to bear witness of the light, to bear witness of Jesus. And that was what he sought to do with his life, to be a lamp that's illuminating the light of the world. As we read further down in John chapter 1, we, we see in verse 19 that the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? This was probably in response to 
multitudes going out to the wilderness to hear this man preaching powerfully, dressed weirdly in camel's hair and had a strange diet of locusts and wild honey, but yet he has this powerful message and people are thronging out to hear him and he's baptizing many, many people, hence the name John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And so they send a delegation out, who are you? And he responds immediately, verse 20, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets, even Moses himself, foretold the coming of. Are you Elijah then, he's asked. No, I'm not Elijah. There was a prophecy in the book of Malachi that Elijah the prophet would come before the day of the Lord. And and so the Jews were anticipating Elijah coming back from the dead. And, And are you Elijah returned from the dead? Jesus would say of John the Baptist that he was that prophesied Elijah. Not Elijah raised from the dead, but John came in the power and spirit of Elijah. But he said, no, his answer is, no, I'm not Elijah raised from the dead. Are you the prophet? And this goes back to Moses' prophecy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, how he told the people of Israel that there would be one that would come from among the children of Israel and and he would be given words to say and you must hear him and follow him. And Moses was speaking of the Christ, the Messiah. But John says, nope, I'm not that prophet either. Then who are you, they ask. And here's John's answer, John 1, 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And the backdrop of that passage, that's quotation from Isaiah 40, verse 23, I believe, And the backdrop of that is how when a king or some dignitary would go into a territory, that there would be a delegation sent ahead of him that would smooth out the path for the king, prepare the way for the coming of the king. And Isaiah prophesied that there would be one that would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And John says, I am that voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Why then do you baptize, he was asked. John was baptizing multitudes of people. Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, verse 24. Verse 26 and 27, John answered, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, is preferred before me, or ranks higher than I, whose sandal strap, I am not worthy to loose. Again, there was throngs of people going out to hear John out in the wilderness. And there were throngs of people being baptized for the remission of sins in view of the coming Christ, the baptism of repentance. Why are you baptizing if you're not Christ, Elijah, or the prophet? Well, in view of someone who is here, And one who is greater than I, one whose sandals I am not worthy to loose. You will remember that during that day and time that when you went into a a home, there would be a servant there that would remove your sandals and wash your feet. And it was a very menial task meant for the lowliest of servants. John is saying of Jesus, he is so great, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandals to wash his feet. That's how great he is. 
We go down to verse 29. This same John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me or ranks above me, for he was before me. I do not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing in water. And then he makes reference to when he baptized Jesus. Verse 32, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. He remained upon Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And you'll remember in Matthew's account, for example, it says that when John baptized Jesus, he was reluctant to do so. He felt that Jesus should be baptizing him. But Jesus told him, in order to fulfill all righteousness, I want to be baptized by you. And so John baptized him. Then the Spirit of God, descending in the form of a dove, rested upon Jesus. And John had been told, when you see that happen, that's divine confirmation that this is my son. This is the Messiah. And so John is testifying, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, verse 35, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And I've told you before, just like I told the folks at uh, Mobile Nursing and Rehab, I have a note written in my Bible by verse 37, that's good preaching. The disciples heard John speak and they followed Jesus. Why do I remind you of who John is in this text? Because I want to be just like John, don't you? I want to be someone like you want to be someone who illuminates the way to Jesus. I want to be someone just like you want to be someone that's a voice whose words draw people to Jesus. I want to be someone who, who affirms to people from the evidence that has been presented in Scripture and in many other places that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of God. I want people to embrace that truth and follow them just as I seek to do. I want people to hear me and hear you speak about Jesus and follow him. That's John. That's John. Let's go back to our text and look at another word, another person. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Let's think about Andrew for a moment. And it's interesting that as we see Andrew's introduction here in John 1, he's identified as Simon Peter's brother. Those of you who have siblings, I see a bunch of them over here, don't be surprised when you're known in some context as Micah's little brother, or Micah's sister, or Judah's little brother or sister. 
I am known in some circles as Steve's little brother or as Sylvia or Sonia's brother and many other contexts in which you can, you can expound upon. Six out of the 13 times, I believe, that Andrew is mentioned, he's identified as Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter, we know about, we could spend a lot of time on him. Short version is, he became very prominent, right? The leader of the apostles. He's the spokesperson that's, that's quoted in Acts chapter 2 on the great day of Pentecost when the church began. It's Peter standing boldly and preaching Christ in the very city where Christ had been crucified 50 days prior. Peter, who endures persecution for the cause of Christ, imprisonment, you name it. We also see Peter struggle as he grows to this point of maturity and he'll still have struggles like we all do. But he becomes the more prominent of the two. And it seems that Andrew lives in Simon Peter's shadow. Andrew is introduced as Simon Peter's brother. But notice this, Andrew followed Jesus. He heard John the Baptist speak, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he followed Jesus. Andrew was ready that when the evidence was presented, when John, whom he had grown to love and trust, said, that's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. Andrew listened to him and began to follow Jesus. He heard John's testimony. He examined the evidence. He's the one that told Simon Peter, we have found the Messiah. But Andrew personally dedicated his life to following Jesus before he tried to convince others to do the same. And that's the correct order, folks. We must be disciples of Jesus and then make disciples for Jesus. And Andrew did just that. Another wonderful thing about Andrew, it seems that he's always bringing someone to Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, asked Philip, uh, we need to feed these multitudes. Philip, the statistical pessimist, as he's called by Merrill Tenney, he, did the, he, cr he crunched some numbers. We don't have enough money to feed this multitude of 5,000 men, not in counting women and children. What does Andrew do? He finds a little boy that has a sack lunch. Five little loaves, five biscuits perhaps, and, and two small fish. And he brings that boy with his lunch to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He multiplies it and feeds the multitudes with 12, basket, 12 baskets full of leftovers. But Andrew's the one. And I can just envision Andrew saying, Lord, I found this boy with a, with a little lunch. Can you use this? In John chapter 12, we read about some Greeks that come to Philip. And many suggest they probably came to Philip the Apostle because he had a Greek name. So here's some Greeks that come to Philip and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Interestingly, John records that Philip went and found Andrew and then they went and told Jesus. 
So here's Andrew involved in bringing Greeks to see Jesus. It seems that Andrew's always bringing folks to Jesus. And on this occasion, it's his brother. I want to be like John, but I want to be like Andrew, don't you? I always want to be bringing someone to Jesus. Because that's the greatest thing that you and I can do for another person. Let's go back to our text and notice one more word. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. We've noted that first Andrew followed Jesus himself, but then the first thing that he did when he discovered Jesus, the Messiah, had come, the first thing that he did was found his own brother. We have found the Messiah. Again, all the Jews were looking for the Messiah that was foretold by Moses and the prophets. And they had many ideas and many false ideas about who the Messiah would be and what he would do. But John has pointed out to Andrew, this is, this is, this is the one. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And so he's so excited with that news that he goes and first finds his own brother Simon and he brought him to Jesus. Now I believe Andrew knew fully what you and I know that everyone needed to know that the Messiah had come. Everyone needs to know that. Just like everyone in the world needs to know Jesus and follow him. But the first thing that that Andrew did was went and told his brother. He practiced this principle, if you will, each one reach one. And think about about that. It was Andrew who brought Simon Peter to Jesus. It's Simon Peter's life, if we keep reading, which I won't take the time to do that, Jesus begins to change his life on that first meeting. And we've already talked about what Peter would become and how many would Peter reach for Christ. But just remember, it was Andrew who first found Jesus and brought his brother to him. Let me ask you this question. If you're a Christian tonight, who brought you to Jesus? Who influenced you to become a Christian? Or who taught you about Jesus and how to respond to him, how to obey the gospel? And I suspect that the overwhelming majority of us would answer. It was a friend, a family member, or an associate of ours. I think about FFA. FFA. FFA brings some uh, memory to me. FFA, I had friends that were in Future Farmers of America out in uh, West Texas where I grew up. And some of them I knew planned to be farmers. Some of them... Uh, would, would get these, these calves and raise them and put them in these shows. And, and uh, I always admired them. I'm not a future. I was, my dad was a farmer, grew up on a farm. I wasn't planning to be a future farmer of America, but I always appreciated, uh, appreciated their work. So FFA has that background. But I'm going to use those letters for something else now. 
Think FFA, meaning friends, family, and associates. Friends, family, and associates. Most people are brought to Christ in the context of those relationships. And again, I believe the overwhelming majority of us would have to agree. So think about your own FFA, your own circle of friends, your own family, your own associates. And think now about who of them are not yet Christians. And think about reaching one of them for Jesus. If most conversions come out of those type relationships, friends, family, associates, where there is a relationship built and in the context of that relationship, discussions about spiritual things occur and people are are taught about Jesus and come to become Christians, followers of Jesus, if that's where most conversions occur, doesn't that where we need to start? Each one of us reaching someone else. Who in your FFA is not yet a Christian? That is a wonderful opportunity to reach that person for Jesus. How do we do that? Let me suggest for some very practical ways. First of all, let's pray for them. Pray for them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's Paul's heart. He wanted all of his people to be, be, to be followers of Jesus, to become Christians. My heart's desire, my prayer to God is for Israel that they may be saved. I suggest we adapt that prayer. And instead of Israel, include that one that we're thinking about. That one in our FFA, friends, family, associates, that, doesn't, that isn't a Christian. And begin praying this prayer for them every day, several times a day. God, my heart's desire and prayer to you is for this person that he or she may be saved. And pray that prayer continually and mean it. Now here's a quote that I heard from my dad in a Wednesday morning class recently. He said it kind of quickly, didn't expound upon it, but it resonated with me. He said this, God will not save anyone against his will. Let me say it again. God will not save anyone against his will. In other words, if a person's going to be saved, they've got to, they've got to succumb to it, right? God's not going to overpower someone's will and convert them whether they want to or not. One must be willing. If anyone takes of the water of life freely, there's come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There has to be that willingness and that surrender in order for a person to become a Christian. So what are we praying for? God save him whether he wants to or whether she wants to or not? No. But we pray that their hearts will be softened so that they will receive the seed of God's word. Remember the parable of the sower? Farmers 
prepare the soil for the planting of the seed. So our prayer would be, God, help, help his heart, help her heart be softened, however that can happen, so that the seed, the gospel, the good news can bear fruit in that heart. Pray also that God will give you, give us wisdom as we reach out to him or to her. Because it requires wisdom. We want to handle it correctly. And we need God's wisdom. And God invites us. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men and liberally. James 1.5. And so pray. Number one, pray for that person. Pray for yourself as you reach out to him or to her. Number two, participate in their lives and invite them into your life. Participate in their lives. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And when we say participate in their lives, it means show them, demonstrate the love of Christ to them through your own actions, through your own words. Show a genuine interest in them. Not to try to, I'm going to set you up, I'm going to trap you with the gospel. Not, not that at all. But that we genuinely care for that person even their physical well-being, but yes, also their spiritual well-being. And that means we're going to be in tune, and, and when a need comes up in that person's life, then we want to demonstrate the love of Christ and help them in time of need. One writer said, The translation of Christ's love into tangible, specific action is the process of caring. And then he expounded upon it. Caring is spending time with a person. Caring is building a stronger and closer relationship with that person. Caring is helping in a time of need. Caring means daring to be present with people when they're going through a struggle. Caring for your friends is an ongoing process, and it includes being available. You know what it means to care about someone? Pray for that person. And participate in their lives and also invite them into your life. Build that relationship, FFA. That's where most conversions come from. That's what are we doing. We're intentionally building a relationship with this person because we care about them physically and spiritually. But first they need to know that we genuinely care about them. And it's got to be unconditional, our love and care for them. If they reject ultimately the gospel, we still love them. And we continue to pray for them and watch for the opportunity. Pray for them, participate in their lives, invite them into yours. Number three, plant the seed. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And that indicates to us that Paul who was all about preaching the gospel, the good news, to every person that he possibly could. And he especially wanted to go into areas where Jesus had not been preached so that they could hear about the good news of Jesus. But sometimes he was rejected. Sometimes he could only plant the seed. But then a, another teacher like Apollos would come along behind and water it. And then the increase would come. Then it would fall into good and honest hearts, the seed of God's word. It would produce fruit by people obeying the gospel, becoming followers of Jesus. We need to plant the seed. How can we do that? It, it really 
can have many different expressions. In this relationship that we're building with someone that we care about and would ultimately love to lead to Jesus, it can be sharing a verse of Scripture that has blessed you. It could be sharing something that's occurred within the church family. It could be sharing a prayer request. You know, let me tell you about Sheila Hudson. Let me tell you about Mackenzie Hall. Because our church family is really praying for these precious people. By the way, we say to our friend, do you have something you want me to pray about? Can I pray for you in some area of your life? What are we doing? We're just showing a genuine interest, but we're also planting the seed. Invite them into your home, perhaps with other family members and friends. Invite them to a church function and ultimately invite them to worship with you, but plant the seed, plant the seed. Fourthly, prepare to share the gospel. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, the English Standard Version of 1 Peter 3.15 says. Be prepared to give an answer concerning the hope that you have in you. The hope that Christ gives there may come a point, in fact, there will likely come a point in your relationship with this person. They may ask, how did you become a Christian? Be prepared to tell them. And as you do so, point them to the Scriptures. Point them to the Scriptures. If you want to know how to become a Christian, we need to show them from the Word of God how they were told, believe on the Lord Jesus, Acts 16, 30 and 31, and you'll be saved. Turn from your sins repentance, Acts 17, 30 and 31. God commands every man, all men everywhere now to repent. Confess Jesus, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I was baptized into Christ. I was immersed in water because Acts 2, 38 says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I did that. And the blood of Jesus washed away my sins, and I was raised from the waters of baptism that the Bible calls really a grave. I was raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 and 4. But in telling your conversion story and pointing them to the ultimate authority of God's Word, you're sharing the good news. You're sharing the gospel. And all of this is because of what Jesus did on the cross. If it's, not, if it's not completely related to what Jesus has done on the cross for us, then it's not the gospel. Because, it's, because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why we place our faith and trust in Him and turn from sin and are baptized into Christ, having confessed His name. But prepare to share the gospel because the opportunity will come. In summary, love them and lead them to Jesus. I hope someone has come to your mind, someone in your FFA, friends, family, associates, that does not yet know Jesus.
that is not yet a Christian. And I hope that you, you've already been praying, but if you haven't been praying for them, you'll do so beginning tonight. Pray for them. Participate in their lives. Show them the love of Jesus in a tangible way, in a genuine way. Plant the seed of God's word. And then be prepared. Prepare yourself to share the good news. There are also others, many others, in this church family that would love to assist you in any, in any way. Present company included. How many people are alive in the world today? Over 8.08 billion people. And every one of them needs Jesus. Including that one in your FFA that you could help lead to Jesus. Let's think about that one and be committed. Each one reach one. But you got to follow Jesus first yourself. If you're making that decision tonight, if you're ready to obey the gospel, we'd love to assist you. If you need the prayers of the church tonight, we'd love to pray with you and for you. Won't you come? right now as we stand and sing.